I just heard a really interesting point made by someone who uh, I'm not going to mention because there's a good chance that some people will just not listen to this if I say who it is that I heard this from. Uh, that the reason why we avoid political conversations is essentially biochemical. That we experience, you know, when, we, when there's a concern that we're going to get into some kind of a conflict, we will avoid that because there's cortisol that gets released in the body. And so the stress hormone puts us into a very negative state. And when society is divided, we don't really know, you know, when we're circulating amongst uh, groups of people, unless we happen to know them intimately or, you know, reasonably well, we don't know exactly where they stand on a political spectrum. Because the, the politics is so fraught with conflict now, there's so much strong emotion about it. If we discover that we're hanging out with people who see things differently than we do, we immediately get this stress response. And in some ways, you know, this is the thing that creates group cohesion and that uh, prevents people from thinking independently. You could say that this is the basic mechanism for groupthink because it's unpleasant to be in a stressful state of being. Add to this the fact that many people have no experience whatsoever with conflict in other words, they don't train themselves in something like the martial arts to be able to deal with conflict and to recognize the value of being able to fight it out, if not physically, then, then intellectually. And what that means is essentially it all becomes emotional because people can't conceive of the value of having the strength to actually endure a conflict with the recognition that there's something that you learn through that process, something of value that comes from it. And that ultimately, you know, there was this idea classically, may the best man win, right? It's a gendered phrase. So what? <laughs> right? That doesn't mean that women can't enter the argument or the fight. But it was recognized that when there was a fight, there's a pretty good chance that if you were a woman, you better stay out of it or you're going to get destroyed, right? Which is one of the reasons why this whole transgender thing within the athletic competition is so absurd. Because it's just a basic recognition that when there's a fight, that's when the guys get involved and the women and the children stay out of it because they will get destroyed. They will get hurt very badly, right? So there's a reason why... A gendered phrase fricking makes sense sometimes. But if you're going to take that into the intellectual realm, there's no reason why women can't engage in the intellectual fight. There have been some brilliant women engaging in the, in the intellectual fight who have developed the strength to endure conflict, to, to experience the cortisol stress, and to push through that because they recognize that it's extremely important to, well, advocate for your position and even more importantly, to understand the position of others so that you can 
develop a better position yourself, which is it's the only way it can happen. It's through discussion with people who have different points of view that you're able to develop your own point of view, to recognize the deficits in your point of view, to make adjustments, to take other people's positions into account. And all of this is stressful. It's difficult, particularly when you're in a stressful environment. If it's within the context of, let's say, a friendly debate within a relatively safe situation where there's not so much economic turmoil, not so much political turmoil, not so much environmental turmoil, right? Then it's easier. But as there gets to be, as the stakes get higher, the cortisol experience spikes. But you could say that, you know, if you were someone who wanted to design a society where people would be compliant, where they would uh, essentially go with the program, whatever the dominant narrative is, whatever it is that they're spoon-fed as children, they will stay within the fold. The way to do that is to, number one, never train them to deal with with the fight. Never train them to have the metal, to have the strength to engage in a stressful situation with the recognition that that actually can lead to productive outcomes. And number two, cultivate a highly polarized society where anyone who has contact with something that's outside of their domain is going to experience a cortisol spike. And this will keep people within their camps. The person who was talking about this points out that, that the internet is a place where people get to exercise the feelings that they're unable to express IRL in real life. And so what we see happening on social media are people essentially venting all of the stress from not being able to express themselves in, when they're in, in, in public. You know, so in a job, for instance, there's a lot of stress because if you say the wrong thing nowadays, you can get fired <laughs> just for saying something. And, and sometimes it's really not clear where those lines are. So people are very much walking on eggshells in their jobs and, you know, sometimes uh, it, it ha it's, it's, you could say something that's absolutely 100% true uh, according to your professional point of view. From what you understand about your profession, for example, in the medical field, doctors have been fired for expressing their professional opinion on subjects of the greatest importance. That's about a, as high a level of cortisol stress as you could imagine. And people who are not trained early to have the strength to endure conflict and where doing so is no longer seen as an admirable thing to do, but rather is just something that can get you into a world of trouble. Well, that's exactly the environment you would want to create to have a docile population of, of sheeple that just get pushed around uh, into whatever program it is that 
the designers have in mind for you. The managers is probably a better word. We hear a number of people speaking often about how the world now is essentially being run by a kind of management class, which makes sense in a technological society. These complex technological systems have to be managed properly in order for them to continue, although now you could make the argument that what's actually being managed is the dismantling of many of these technological and bureaucratic processes. So we're having a, you could say, managed collapse. Supposedly in the service of some sort of great reset that supposedly will be much better for everyone. And, you know, on that front, it's worth commenting that the grander the design, the less likely it is to actually turn out. So that's the thing about hubris. I heard something else said recently by someone who, if I mentioned their name, a number of people would probably tune out, so I won't mention who it was. But basically, they were talking about how the main problem that humanity has is arrogance and hubris. And that humility, and even humiliation, is extremely valuable. That being regularly humiliated in one's life is, well, natural, right? Because we're all flawed in various ways and we make mistakes. And so, you know, by being humbled, by recognizing these flaws, we get put into our right position and we, we would never believe that we have enough of an understanding or grip on the world to redesign the entire planet. But unfortunately, the upper levels of management don't see themselves in these terms. They have come to believe that they have the ability and the right to redesign society, civilization, and even biology, which is essentially the ultimate act of hubris. And hubris is always punished by disaster, by chaos. And we've already, we're already seeing a fair amount of disaster and chaos resulting from these, uh, let's say, management efforts. The only thing that could potentially stop this is essentially the people rising up and saying, no, 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 you're... You're supposed to be managing systems to serve the interests of people. That's, that's what you're here to do. You don't get to redesign everything according to your, in your image. You don't get to become fascists. That's not the correct way to go. Because fascism is essentially the merging of corporate and state power it's the corporate managers who are essentially running the show now, and they have taken over the mechanism of the state. So we're seeing a kind of global fascism. And so it is fundamentally the power of the people. The people really do have the power, although we are losing it because we are being replaced by technology. You know, we have perhaps lost the kinetic power that the people once had just because the, the technology is so overwhelming 
You know, you can't you can't reasonably expect to have a a violent revolution that's going to be effective given the the technology available to let's say the corporate state sector, right? So anyone who's thinking along those lines is freaking insane. I think. But we do have the power to shame them. Cuz what they're doing is shameful. They're presenting this kind of like beautiful globalist liberal world order type of idea where everyone is supposed to be treated with dignity and respect, but at the same time, that's just kind of the opposite of what, what seems to be going on. In point of fact, they're continually showing disrespect for anyone who disagrees with them. So we have the power to essentially point out their hypocrisy, but that requires experiencing cortisol, it, it, it requires putting ourselves into a stressful situation. So many people are just unwilling to do that. And I think that explains why the, you know, the liberals are unwilling to even entertain the idea of supporting RFK Jr. Think about the amazing amount of cortisol that RFK Jr. has had to experience since he, uh, well, since he started speaking out about vaccines, which is quite a while ago now. But then particularly under COVID, he became, you know, essentially demonized. He's been demonized and, and not just by society at large, but by his own family, which is something that I, I actually understand quite, quite well. I went through, I have been going through an extremely stressful experience with respect to the people that I grew up with. You know, in particular in my family, I have one family member that I've had extremely stressful, un unpleasant interactions with that make me very unhappy. I really love this person and would much prefer to be on good terms with them, but there's a limit and I can't uh, abide by uh, ignoring important things that have serious consequences for not just me personally or, or our family, but, but essentially for many, many people. Because this is someone who has a responsibility in the world and is unwilling to consider the kind of information that would create a, a great deal of professional stress. So I have sympathy. I have a lot of sympathy but I can't respect a medical professional who's unwilling to look at the actual evidence. That's what it comes down to. And, and you know, it has consequences, serious consequences for people's health. But, you know, it also has serious consequences for our relationship and for the, the family dynamic. And it's not just this person. It's, it's most of the people that I knew back back east, you know, before I moved out to the west coast, I was still somewhat within that kind of east coast liberal bubble. I was a little bit outside of it. I had started to think more broadly, but I didn't quite realize how much of a bubble it was and how blind it was to certain realities. Now, you could make the argument that 
you know, here's an interesting dynamic that I'm trying to sort out. We have the truth of the data, and then we have the truth of the political situation. And those two things are quite often at odds with each other. So you could say that the truth of the political situation is only because people are ignoring the data. But people are ignoring the data. And so in the same way that during wartime, the first casualty of war is the truth, right? When, when you enter a critical period where there's increased pressures economically, politically, environmentally, etc., that's basically a state of war. And the first casualty of war is the truth. And so society starts to proceed on the basis of things where they can no longer admit the truth. And that's the truth. That's the problem. And so those of us who are, let's say, rational, I'm putting that in air quotes, in other words, people who are interested in what the real data is saying, on some level, that's not recognizing the truth of the situation. This is something that really bothers me. Now, I still prefer to put myself into the camp and to support the people who speak reasonably, which is why I love RFK Jr. and there's a number of other people on the, on the world stage right now who say reasonable things and who point to important data. Which, you know, data is complex and it can be interpreted in various ways and it can be manipulated and data collection. Is, this is a whole set of problems that come along with using data as a reference point. But when it comes to things like medical science, we don't have much of a choice. We have to go by the data. And so then we have to go through this whole process of trying to figure out what's the valuable data? What's the accurate data? What's the correct interpretation? You know, a lot of people just defer to the authorities because it's too freaking complicated and no one can, you know, it's, it's very difficult to have confidence about any of these things. But when you see lies, <laughs> when you see gross inaccuracies, when you see backpedaling, when you see obvious mischaracterizations, and then a kind of narrative starts to form where you see, well, things are kind of always being pushed in a certain direction. And then you follow the money, and there's a lot of money to be made, and there's a huge profit motive, and there's a lot of influence from the people who stand to make the money. Well, then you can start to put together a picture that's very reasonable, right? You may not be able to have an ironclad proof, but I think this is basically the approach that RFK Jr. has taken. And it's a very reasonable approach. A lot of people will call it conspiracy theory. It's like, well, you do realize that the term conspiracy theory was dreamt up as a way of undermining arguments that pointed to conspiracies. <laughs> Conspiracy just means breathing together. So in other words, a bunch of people get together and they decide to try to do something that will benefit them in one way or another. That's basically a conspiracy. And we've seen many obvious conspiracies 
just within the last few years. So, for instance, the conspiracy to cover up the origin of the coronavirus. We have the emails, and unless these emails are faked, and it seems like no one is arguing that they're faked, then it's very clear that people at the highest levels within the health authorities conspired to hide the likelihood that the coronavirus escaped from a lab. It's very clear. There are emails between Fauci and Collins and a whole bunch of other high-level people within the NIH and, uh, and whatever Fauci's agency is called. It's very clear that they were all very worried that this could have escaped from a lab, and then all of a sudden they decided, you know what, uh, we had better circle the wagons and come up with a narrative that says, no, this is definitely a natural origin. That's a frickin' conspiracy! <laughs> this explains partially why there's so much weight that creates cortisol when people start to think about it. So I've almost entirely given up on trying to communicate with this family member of mine who's involved in the medical profession because I recognize that all they're experiencing is cortisol. They can't, there's no way to, to penetrate into the actual discussion because it's just an emotional response and, and there's no way to get beyond that. And so it's fruitless to try to present the information which is, it's, it's horrifying because it's basically, it's a gigantic metal door being slammed shut. Being slammed shut in the face of something that's, that's truly of the greatest importance and greatest consequence. I, I see no way to get that door ajar, to open it. I see no way to penetrate the cortisol block. So it's very effective. And so this, you know, this comes to the, the kind of political reality where extremely powerful forces have created an environment that causes an incredibly high stress response whenever the truth is being pointed to. Not even necessarily the truth is being said, but you're kind of, or even more to the point, whenever a lie is being exposed. Because people have been, have been, it's like the safe way forward is to follow the lie. And so as long as you stay with that lie, then you don't have the cortisol response. And so once it's pointed out, which is quite obvious, you know, that, that there are a lot of lies that, that people have accepted. A lot of lies that, that people are going with. And you point out, hey, you know, there's a problem with that. Stress response. You don't even have to point to the truth. And the stress response, it creates cognitive dissonance. And what do people want to do? They'll just go do anything else. Anything. That's what Netflix is for. You go tune in, tune out. <laughs> you tune out on a show. Or some music or whatever. Change the subject. Anything. Just don't want to have to think about it. It's too stressful. Can't handle it. Because you never got the training for it. You never did any martial arts, right? Everyone's just nice. Why can't you just be nice? Why can't you just be nice like everyone else? And then 
As someone who is wrapped up in, in these issues, I experience a tremendous amount of stress. It's a lot of wear and tear. I don't want to be in bad terms with anyone. It's not, it's not my natural state of being. I did have some small amount of martial arts training, so I am somewhat comfortable with, with conflict, but it's unpleasant and it does create stress, particularly when it's with people who I love. They don't understand that I see this as, as an existential crisis. I, I think that we're in deep trouble and that we're making terrible mistakes by not looking at these things squarely. So that's the situation here. Thought it might be worth expressing it to whoever it is who listens to this. Thanks for listening. If you want to support these efforts, which have been infrequent lately, but will probably uh, pick up again sometime soon, I encourage you to visit my Substack, taijireality.substack.com, or you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash taijireality. If you want to uh, communicate, you can drop me a note at silentassembly at protonmail.com. And I guess that's about all I have to say right now. So, until next time, adios.